So today we're studying more about our outline, about how to study your Bible. And we've begun by looking at Isaiah 58, verses 3 and 4, where there are perplexed Christian people, and they're asking, why is it, God, that we have done the right things, and it doesn't seem to be making a difference in our experience? And God's answer, part of his answer is, it's because you're pleasure-seeking at the same time that you're afflicting your soul. Let me see if you can understand this in principle. If I, six years from now, go to Walmart to do my grocery shopping, and while I'm there, my little two-year-old boy takes a piece of gum from the shelf and puts it in his pocket, do you think I might discipline him? I will. But what if I see someone else's boy take a piece of gum and put it in his pocket? Will I discipline that boy? Because I'm a very bold man, I might say something to his mother. However, he's not my boy, and he just isn't going to get the kind of attention that he would if he belonged to me. Does that make sense? Listen, it is the same way in the Christian life. God does not relate to those that are sincerely seeking him in the same way he does to those that are ignoring him. So maybe you've read it before and remember it in Hebrews 12, where it talks about those who are children that they receive chastening from God, that God is guiding them. And it speaks about those who don't receive chastening, that they're illegitimate children. In Isaiah 58, when the people ask, why is it God that you are not hearing our prayers, God's answer is, it's because as my real people that you, your life is a mixed bag, a mixed bag of devotion on one hand and pleasure-seeking on the other. Do you remember, those of you who have been reading your Bible for a while, that in the end of time, that there are people who are lovers of blank more than lovers of blank. What, what are the words? Lovers of It means that. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of... So if you just think that through, they are lovers of God, aren't they? That is, we're speaking about people who really do enjoy, they really do go after the religious life, but at the same time, they're they're going after pleasure. That is, their mind, their goals are, what can I do to have a good life, to enjoy my life? So I'm almost done with this sermon. Let me repeat the sermon and go on with our Bible study. One of the reasons that God does not hear the prayers of his people is that their life is a mixture of conformity to his will and nonconformity to his will. And what would we have to do then to, to have him hear our prayers? Yeah, our lives would have to be conformed entirely to his will. You're still in Isaiah 58. Let's look back at verse 4 for a minute. It says, Behold, you you fast for strife and debate. If you have your hand out, turn to the outline we were on yesterday. The outline, we're on section 2 of it, and we left off on number 8. I'm going to skip number 9 where it says take copious notes and move right to number 10. 
So on the outline, we're on section two, number 10, about 60% down the page. It says, share immediately, and what's the next word? This is the thing about learning your Bible. I learned this, I guess I learned it in 1990. In 1990, I was in college. I never went to college for, I mean, I went to college for a very short time. And while I was in college, I was given an opportunity to speak to a group of ministers in training. For an 18-year-old, that felt like a pretty hefty assignment to give a Bible study to ministers in training. So I studied a long time to do it. Have any of you ever studied a long time for a little sermon you were going to give or a little Bible study? I studied. And then when it came time, I gave the Bible study. You know, because I studied, I learned a lot. And when I gave it, it made sense to me. In the next couple of weeks, I shared it with some people at breakfast. And then I shared it with some other people. And what I found out is that when I had shared it five or six times, it had lodged itself in part of my mind that most things don't make it into, into my long-term memory. Do you remember having devotions a year ago? Do you remember the fact you had devotions a year ago? Isn't most of what you learned a year ago gone? Like it's gone? But that Bible study that I gave in 1990 is still in my head, and I could repeat it to you now, verse for verse, in the same order that I gave it then, the same thing. It's not because I can remember all my devotions for the last 17 years. It's because I shared it repeatedly. Suppose you found something this morning that was meaningful to you. How can you keep it? That's it. It's by, I don't want to say annoying your friends, but you risk it. You ask them, can I share something with you? And you tell them. Can I share something with you? And you tell them. Can I share something with you? And when you've shared it several times in a day, you'll know it for a week. If you share it several times in a week, you'll know it for a month. If you share it several more times in that month, you'll know it for the rest of your life. It's just a beautiful thing. Look at section three. It perhaps is just, it is just as important. What not to do in your deep Bible study. We talked about number one yesterday. Use point 8B as a substitute for the work of digging. What was point 8B? That's it. It's then when you want to understand a difficult passage, you just go straight to Elamite's writings and see if she explains it. No, 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 no. Don't do it. Did you all know that back in the 1840s that Seventh-day Adventists were keeping the Sabbath from 6 p.m. to 6 p.m. even when the sun went down at 9 p.m. or when the sun went down at 4.30 p.m.? Do you know what, what the names of one of those seventh It's not always easy to say what you want to think. That didn't come out right either. All right. <laughs> so I'll start over. One of those Seventh-day Adventists was named Ellen White. And you know what time she kept Sabbath from? Six to six, and she was a prophet. Couldn't have God have just told her in a little dream, Ellen, um, you have the wrong time for Sabbath? Couldn't he have done that? But would that have been good for the developing Seventh-day Adventist church if God had picked up the toddler and said, here you go? God waited until Jay and Andrews began a Bible study 
and concluded that Sabbath should be from sundown to sundown. And after the Bible study, then God gave a vision to Ellen White and confirmed that it was so. Maybe later in your life you'll hear about things like the shut door or about the issue over Trinitarianism. Those are both two other examples of the same principle where God had a truth for his church, but he refused to reveal it to his church until Bible study had led them to the truth, and then through the prophet he revealed a confirmation. You know he does the same for you. Moving to point number two, strive about words. Is this under what to do or what not to do? That's right. We read in Isaiah 58, it says you fast for strife and debate and to smite with the fist of wickedness. You shall not fast as you do this day to make your voice to be heard on high. There are so many principles in that verse. One thing is that you cannot fast. I mean, you can, but it's not going to work. You can't fast effectively to force God to answer your prayers. It's not like this, that if you do the things in Isaiah 58, now God has to give you what you want. It isn't that way. In other words, what is one reason God doesn't hear our prayers? One reason is because we're trying to manipulate him. And God won't be manipulated. I can think of an illustration about that, but I'm not sure it's wise to share it. And until I think it's wise, I think I better not. We've already talked about in these Bible studies about how God reveals his thoughts to various prophets and they use different words. See if you can follow this idea. If I want to know what Jesus means when he says that he will be my rearward, that's how you pronounce that, that word, by the way. It's not re-reward. It's rearward. If God promises to be my rearward, and I want to know what it means, I can look for, in the Bible, to find other passages that will explain. This is just a bad illustration of what I wanted to say. So I'm going to start over. Actually, I'll just tell you what rearward means. Rearward means rear guard. When you've read that, that verse, it doesn't mean that God is going to give you something twice, like two rewards or something like that. It means that he watches your back. So in my own life, this is so practical. I realize that Eugene Pruitt, that's me, that my field of vision is small. If I am being very careful about what I say, Sometimes I end up forgetting about what I look like. And if I'm being really careful about what I look like, sometimes I forget about what I'm going to say. And that's just a little illustration. If I'm being very careful where I drive, I might forget about what's going on in the van behind me. But if I'm being very careful about what's going on in the van behind me, I might not be paying enough attention to where I am. Do you understand what I'm saying about my field of vision? I just can't keep it all in. What has God promised in Isaiah 58? It's that he has a much wider field of vision. And if I will pay close attention to what I can pay attention to, he will guard my back. And isn't that a beautiful promise? But it's not related to this idea about striving about words.
turns me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 14. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 14. It says, of these things put them, that would be you, in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words. So I charge you, young disciples, young men, young ladies, do not argue about the meaning of words. Isn't that what the verse told me to do, to charge you before the Lord? Charge them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. I've tried to say this three times and failed twice, so here goes my, or this will be my third attempt. When God is speaking to Isaiah, he gives Isaiah a vision. He chooses the picture for Isaiah. He chooses the ideas that Isaiah is going to write about. But who chooses the words? Isaiah chooses the words. When God speaks through Paul, God chooses the picture God chooses the ideas, and who chooses the words? So if in the Bible I'm studying the big picture, I'm studying God's idea. If I study the ideas, I'm studying God's ideas. But if I come down to studying the word, I have just descended into a realm of where the human takes over and the divine begins to fade. Is it possible that Paul might not have chosen the very best word? It is possible. It's possible that Isaiah could have chosen a better word, or maybe the translator could have chosen a better word. What the Bible said is, do not let your arguments descend to the level of arguing about words, because when you get there, then you might rely upon human things like dictionaries and lexicons, and, and you end up getting away from the divine. Where is the divine? It's in the ideas. The human is in the words. What should you not argue about? Uh, if I could think of some examples of where this happens, it might help you see it. Should I say Jesus or Yeshua? You know what this verse says? It says, I charge you before God that you strive not about what? Words. Words. Then it says, to no profit. In other words, there's no benefit when you're arguing about words. The question is, what are the ideas? And what if you do argue about words? What happens? Yeah, and it says here that it subverts the hearers. I spent too long on one line of this outline. We need to go on, but that's such an important idea. Look at section three, line number three. It says, use forms of be uncritically as verbal equal signs. I get zero points for making that simple to understand. Uh, Let me try over. If I say, 
that the law of God is holy, that's the truth. If I say the Sabbath is holy, that's the truth. Does that mean that any time I see the word holy, I can substitute the word Sabbath? So the Bible says, be ye therefore holy, and I can say, be ye therefore Sabbath? It doesn't mean that. But there are many young, especially it's young men that get into this business. There are many young men who don't understand this about things like is and are and be. And they will read about the commandments are this and the law is this. And, and you, if you work it out long enough, you could find out that water vapor is clouds, is angels is messengers, is priests, is Levites, is modern-day Adventists. Did you know you're damp? <laughs> Do you follow what I'm saying? You... So what am I telling you about Bible study? Be careful how you use is and are and be in your Bible study. It could lead you to some unsound conclusions. Do you understand that? Okay, good. Turn with me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 29. And we're going to look at verse 29. Deuteronomy 29 and verse 29. It says, The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of the law. Has everything that there is to know been revealed to us? It is a big trick of the devil to distract us from the things that are important by trying to get us to focus on the things that aren't even revealed. Oh, how can I, I can give you such an example about this. I can find in the Bible entire chapters about the scenes of the judgment. I can find large sections of the Bible about the story of Calvary. But I cannot even find three verses in a row in Scripture designed to explain the relation of the Godhead to each other, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There is not a single passage of Scripture on that topic. There are passages of Scripture that allude to the Father, that tell us about the Spirit, that tell us about the Son. The, I, Matthew 28 lists the three of them together. But there is no passage that's on the top of a topic of explaining the relation to us. It's not, there, do you understand? There's no, top, there's no passage about it at all. So if we're going to try to find what is true about Calvary, do we have good hope? We do, because the Bible has a lot to say about it, right? There's a lot there, and we can look and find it. And so people mostly don't argue about that. So would the devil rather that we 
try to talk about Calvary or try to talk about the nature of the Godhead? Why would he prefer that we talk about this? That's right. And if there's not much information, then, then are we going to agree? You know, it's going to cause big arguments, isn't it? It's going to cause all kinds of confusion. Why does it cause confusion? There's just not enough data to make it simple. Now, why isn't there enough data? Exactly. It wasn't even something God intended for us to be trying to figure out. The things that are revealed are for us and for our children. The things that are hidden belong to God. And have you all realized in your short life already that some people have just totally fallen for this thing? If your parents have fallen for it, you can have them call me if you want. Look at section three, and we're still looking at number four. I didn't read it to you yet, but we've been talking about it. What not to do, don't treasure shock value or oddity or try to prove you are smart. Listen, this is a serious danger in Bible study. Most of the things that you need to know about getting to heaven, once you hear them, are almost common sense. Does that make sense to you what I just said? But you can find some things in this Bible that sort of strike you as really odd. When you find something that strikes you as really odd, there's a distinct possibility that you don't understand it. Does that make any sense? It might be why you think it's odd. Maybe I should show you one, just to show you. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm looking for the verse. Just a moment. It's the verse that says, Else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead, if the dead rise not at all? Verse 29, thank you. Verse 29 says, Else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead, if the dead rise not at all? Why are they then baptized for the dead? Imagine Mr. Joe Blow is studying 1 Corinthians 15, and everything, yeah, I know that, I know that, I know that, I know that. And wow, I can be baptized for the mom, dad, friends, and relatives. Turn on the bathwater. I'm going to be baptized for great grandpa. <laughs> Let's just back up for a minute. Just a minute, sir. If the verse strikes you as really odd, that's a hint that maybe you don't understand. And if you don't understand it, is it a good time to preach about something? No. So would it be good to preach on things that seem kind of odd? No. You might end up preaching something wrong. There's a whole denomination that preaches this way, right? Anyone know what denomination that is? The Mormons, exactly. 
since I made you read it, I probably should tell you what it means, shouldn't I? I should at least. So look in verse 29. I'm going to read it to you in the modern paraphrased version. I mean, I'm making up this paraphrase. Otherwise, what shall they do which are baptized if you consider the dead? For if the dead are never resurrected, then what's the point of being baptized when you realize that people die and that's it? That was a paraphrase. That's not what it says. The word for there is, uh, is not saying for the benefit of, but in consideration of. Paul's saying if there isn't any resurrection, what does baptism represent? You die to sin and then you're raised to life so that when Jesus comes back, you can be raised to eternal life. But Paul said if there's no resurrection, then baptism is kind of silly, isn't it? That's what the verse is saying. And what I'm saying is when you try to prove that you're smart in your Bible study, you prove something else. Moving on to the next point. Number five, do not follow a man's development of thought uncritically. It's hurt my feelings sometimes in Sabbath school when I've heard a man sharing ideas and the audience is like responding like this, Amen, 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 Amen. And he just said something that's wrong. And it's happened before that I have spoken in a, in a church on Sabbath, been there the next Sabbath, and, I, and the man who spoke the next Sabbath contradicted something that I said, and the audience said a hearty amen to both of us, and they never caught it. <laughs> Do you know? If you are going to understand your Bible, you're going to have to listen to people critically. What I mean by critically is that you're going to have to weigh out, is, when he, is that really what the verse says that he's reading? Is that really what the passage is teaching? And here are your possible answers. Yes, that's what the verse says. No, that's not what the verse says. Or it's not very clear if that's what the verse means. And the third answer, wouldn't you have to do your own study before you agreed with him? Yeah, don't follow men uncritically. You want to say something, young man? They baptize babies, don't they, with, with sprinkling water on them? indulgences to get them out. There might be some relation in those funny ideas. There's some truth to that. So the principle we're looking at on your line here is that you want to listen to men, yes, but don't just believe what they say. Look at the next line, number six. Don't reject a man's development of a thought without giving it a hearing. I'll tell you what happened to, to one of my good friends that I've never met. His name is Martin Luther. I like him, but he doesn't know me because he's unconscious. And in fact, he's entirely disintegrated. <laughs> Martin Luther one day 
found a bunch of false prophets in his hometown. Have any of you ever talked to a false prophet before? You have? Me too. I talked to one last week. Um, she's a very nice false prophet. I could tell you how to get in touch with him if you like, but it's probably not a good idea. <laughs> but he is one of the leaders in this, the church called the Creation Seventh-day Adventist Church. Um, anyway, he's a nice false prophet. But, what Mar <laughs> but Martin Luther was, had a bunch of these false prophets in his hometown of Wittenberg. And um, he preached nice, calm sermons and those false prophets lost all their influence and they went away. Now, you know, one of the things the false prophet said is that we can't, we should not baptize babies. That, in fact, people should be baptized by immersion. Is that a true idea? Yes. But you know what kind of person it was that told that to Martin Luther? That's, it was a false prophet. Wasn't that a nasty trick of the devil? To have a false prophet tell the truth? <laughs> you get that trick? So listen, Martin Luther fell for that one. And he rejected baptism by immersion because he learned it from someone that he knew was a false prophet. You can't let the devil trick you that way. Listen, young people, this is so relevant to your whole life. The devil will often have someone who's not very kind or not very Christian, even a parent who's just plain mean. A lot of you have parents that discipline you and you think they're mean and they're not. They're just loving. But there are some abusive people, right? You know they do exist. Is it possible that an abusive father that puts black and blue marks all over the face of his daughter that he might tell her the truth about the way to live? Is it possible he might tell her the truth about the way to live? Is he living the right way? No. He's just a wicked scoundrel, right? Yes. But do you realize how hard it is for that young lady to accept the truth about how to live? Because she associates it with that man. Anyway, it's a nasty trick and you shouldn't fall for it. Give men a hearing, and don't just reject what they have to say just because you don't like who they are or what they represent. That deserves a sermon of balance, but there's not time for it. What time is it now? 9.49. Okay. I had permission from Mr. Everett to go five minutes over because of that video thing, so we got six minutes left. Look at number seven. It's the balance. It says, listen to teacher, don't listen to teachers known to be causing division and problems by opposing the truth you have learned. Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans 16. Romans chapter 16. And we're looking at verse 17. Romans 16, looking at verse 17. It says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark those which cause divisions and offenses, 
contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. Listen carefully to the last part. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts, what does it say? Of the simple. So I just told you that you ought to be willing to give a man a hearing. But there are certain men that you shouldn't give a hearing to. Who are they in this verse? They are men who are teaching on a topic that you've already learned thoroughly from the Bible. And instead of teaching what you learn the Bible teaches, they're fighting against that doctrine. What did it say? Causing divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine that you have learned? What does it say to do about those kind of men? That's it. If you see them sitting at one table, you sit at a different one. Yeah. It's good practice for all kinds of things you need to do in life. Um, the Bible doesn't say you should give a hearing to men who you already know are contradicting the plain teaching of Scripture because of what you've learned. Let me summarize what we've said so far today, and it'll be enough to learn for one time. Isaiah 58 has beautiful blessings for us. We have to meet the conditions to receive the blessings. And some of the conditions are that we not strive, spite with the hand of wickedness. You don't want to study your Bible to try to learn how to win arguments about words. You don't want to study your Bible to try to look smart. You don't want to study your Bible to try to discover things that God doesn't have any chapter that talks about them. You want to find what God is teaching in here, not the things that just you can try to make inference from. Give people a hearing, but don't give them an uncritical hearing. Boy, I can hear you zipping your Bibles up and putting your stuff away. I think I better quit soon. Listen, these are important principles. They will help you in your life. Be faithful to the end. Let's bow our heads for a closing prayer. Our Father in heaven, I ask that you would use the words of your Holy Bible from Romans and 2 Timothy and 1 Corinthians and Deuteronomy to make a difference in the lives of those that are here. I thank you for the promise that your Bible speaks the truth, even if it's in the mouth of a mean man. And I ask that you'd save us from falling for some of those silly tricks of the devil to have the wrong people tell us the right thing. And I ask for these gifts in the name of Jesus. Amen.